0: welcome everyone back to our weekly webinar series successful strategies for shaping your future brought to you in partnership by club solutions rex executive roundtables and ursa i'm brent darden and this week we're focusing on opportunities and challenges related to corporate fitness joining me once again this week are our returning panelists blair McCaney, who's the ceo of mxm and the owner of the works of wenatchee and Bill McBride, who's co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness. Joining us this week as guest panelists, we have Megan Hewley. And Megan is the an RDN, an LDN, and also the senior program manager for Walton Life Fitness Center, uh, Walmart's corporate on-site facility, which I have to say I visited, and is not only fabulous, but humongous as well. Uh, We also have Matthew Parrott, and Matthew is uh, not only a PhD, but he's also the Vice President of Business Development for Corporate Fitness Works. So thank both of you, all of you, for uh, joining us this week. If we could, Megan, we'll start off with uh, circling back around and let you tell us a little bit more about uh, the Walton Life Fitness Center and your role and experiences there.
1: Sure. Um, I'm glad you got to visit us. We are a pretty large facility in Bentonville, Arkansas, and we're open to Walmart employees in the area um, for not only the associates, but also their family members, so their spouses and partners and children. And uh, we have average about just over 10,000 memberships and total membership about 30 for 35,000 um, people. So a lot of programming that we have the opportunity to do. And full-service clubs, so we have a indoor and outdoor tennis center, three indoor swimming pools, um, of course, basketball courts, volleyball courts, full weight room, um, cardio area, kids club, lots of programming opportunities for us. So big facility and a great benefit for our associates.
0: Yeah, no doubt one of the uh, most expansive uh, corporate sites, not only facility-wise, but programmatically as well so thank you for joining us and Matthew how about you you've got a little bit more of a high level Uh, you've got a lot of sites around this the country that you guys
2: manage and run can you tell us a little more about that sure I'm with corporate fitness works and we have about 80 on-site fitness centers in corporations and so we focus a lot of our solutions on addressing uh, the health challenges of working populations specifically And obviously, a lot of virtual programming goes along with that, you know, before and and certainly after COVID. So, you know, we've learned a lot about what corporations are looking for and how they're looking to engage their employees, uh, both on site and remote.
0: Okay, Uh, Bill, and of course, I think people know about active's presence in the corporate fitness market, but you want to give everyone a little bit of a primer on that.
3: Yeah, we have over 50 sites, and um, of all the competitors in the um, in the in the fitness management space, we uh, we're very aligned with uh, with Matthew's organization. You know, we've actually collaborated with them on many things, and and our footprint's a little different than theirs in geography, but very similar in the corporate space um, part of our business. So we manage corporate fitness centers, we manage community centers, medical wellness centers, and we manage some commercial health clubs for uh, real estate development companies and private owners. Um, so. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're diversified, but we're heavily um, heavily in the corporate fitness health promotion space, just like uh, Matthew's organization.
0: Okay. And Blair, I've, I've forgotten exactly how you're tied into the corporate community. I know you're very aligned with the medical uh, community there in Wenatchee, but what are you doing in the corporate arena there?
4: more just sort of traditional what clubs have done although we do it a bit more in depth right so uh, we work with the two healthcare providers here for their corporate uh, wellness programs columbia valley community health confluence health uh, and we work with a lot of the um, larger uh, growers here i mean we're in an agricultural area and that's a that's a big part and what we're seeing here is um, like some of the largest growers are actually putting branches of their clinics inside their facilities, so that people can more frequently do testing for diabetes and that. Now they're looking more and more for programming to help, of course, uh, offset diabetes, especially in that population that's working in the in the uh, fruit sheds and packing in the in agriculture. Okay.
0: Yeah, great. Well, you use that word growers as sort of a nebulous term because we know they grow some things there in Washington State, but you're really referring to apples. That's the big production product, right?
4: Well, (laughs) apples, cherries, pears, you know, tree fruit. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So, uh, Megan,
0: uh, we were... We were talking earlier before we started about the fact that uh, even though the restrictions on opening and everything have been, you know, not near as bad in Arkansas as around other parts of the country, still a lot of the workers there are working remote. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's changed the dynamic of corporate uh, fitness on site?
1: Sure. Um, Our facility is located within probably two to three miles of every, almost every Walmart corporate office building here in town. Um, so most people when they're in the office are no more than that distance away to come in. Uh, with everyone working remotely, we've got people that live, you know, five, 10, 20 miles away who may not have the time of day, you know, just changing routine to, to be able to come in here. So I think that's been our, our biggest challenge to have reasons for our, our associates to come back into the club and find a new routine to help them do that
0: and uh, can you give us a couple of examples of what you've been doing to reach out to them and keep them connected
1: yeah we pretty early on in in our closure we had to close mid-march we assembled quick virtual options Um, so we did some facebook live fitness classes um, and have continued to grow that that virtual offering with our instructors we think people um, appreciated seeing their favorite instructors so we got to do Um, Some of those and have learned a lot of lessons along the way uh, on platforms um, and have continued to do that So that's something that has kept our associates connected Um, We did some programming with our summer interns Walmart brings in typically a couple hundred interns a summer They did that program virtually this year Uh, Uh, But we also had the opportunity to do some special events for our interns So a lot of virtual programming here um, has helped us stay connected
0: Okay and uh, Matthew, I'll come to you next since you're another one of our guest panelists. What? Uh, tell us uh, how you're approaching that with so many employees being furloughed uh, or perhaps just working remotely and not having access to the facilities even perhaps in many of your locations.
2: Well, I'll tell you, one of the challenges of having facilities in 26 different states is you've got to know what the guidelines are for each and every one of those states. And then you're dealing with, 80 different corporations that all have their own viewpoint of what reopening needs to look like. So somewhere in there, there's an algorithm and an equation towards reopening, but it's trying to figure that out. That becomes our responsibility. And I think part of the value that we provide, but, but virtually, you know, very similar to Megan pivoted very quickly in March to offer some, uh, virtual services and really try and create a virtual fitness center experience that involves, what I kind of call them sort of the four Cs of you know coaching, classes, challenges and community, and okay. I think if you can offer something in each of those veins, then you're going to meet each and every person at some point on the spectrum wherever they are.
0: Okay, I like that. Yeah, Repeat those four words again.
2: Uh, coaching, classes, challenges, and community.
0: Okay, great. That's good. Great advice for everyone, uh, Bill. And what about your locations? You're in 50 states, so you got the same challenge Matthew has. Uh, it's a shame there's no consistency out there from state to state about what the regulations are, isn't it?
3: Yeah, we're um, we're we're not in 50 states. We are uh, we're in 50 plus locations. So oh, we're in, yeah,
0: that would be a little different.
3: Yeah. So we're in um, a little less than Matthew on on reach. We're in 11 states and and Canada. OK, um, which is a whole nother interesting. Um, dynamic but um but yeah not even states counties right and so you've got you know take matthew's uh geography times how many counties he operates in and and same with us so so it is an interesting dynamic um and one of the challenges is how do you support those employee bases when some are furloughed and some aren't and those that aren't are still remote and how do you how do you work because we embed ourselves with the culture of the organization, right? So we're a white label product in most cases where we're, we're, um, you know, Honda fitness center, call it. And, and so, um, you know, playing that dance of what's the company want to do on benefits? What's the company want to do on reopening protocols? When's the company coming back? What's the dynamic of the company on, in addition to the normal, uh, demographics of the population base that you had before you're going in, you know. So, is it a family-focused uh, workforce, or is it uh, mostly younger uh, singles? Is it, you know? So each one of our our, our sites has a different uh, population that we're trying to serve as well. So, um, so it has been an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, dynamic trying to figure it all out.
0: Yeah, So, uh, Matthew, I'm going to jump back to you. Um, Those four criteria that you mentioned, can you give the the audience an example of something real that you're executing on that they might uh, mimic if they're trying to work with some companies in their area?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, our organization has always is kind of had a reputation of being a high touch organization where we create relationships with members You know, and and other organizations operate maybe at more of a scale and and less human touch, but for us, we realized that when we pivoted to virtual, we were not going to be willing to lose our identity. So coaching became very important to us as a cornerstone to be able to maintain those one-on-one relationships with the members that our team had worked for decades to procure and cultivate. So we want to make sure to continue to do that with individual coaching sessions, just like you might walk into a fitness center and and have a consultation. You walk into a Zoom class with one of our staff and you can do the same thing. I think that if that's your identity and the way that you operate your club out there, I would encourage the operator to try and maintain that in a virtual setting because it's really tempting to try and scale it and get hundreds of people into a very low touch situation. And so, if that's not your identity, then I think you're going to struggle.
3: Yeah, good point. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, to, to build on that, one of one of our best programs that we have going on now with the virtual virtual pivot is with a big corporation where we um, we amped our virtual one on one training. So, using the same staff that those clients are used to dealing with, expanding personal training um, as a service offering to the company. And um, and you know from a from a program revenue point of view and an engagement point of view, it, it's one of the best things we've got going virtually. And, and that's just expanding the, the one-on-one training within a company's population with the trainers and staff they already know.
0: Yeah, Good point. Uh, uh, Megan, what have you found that, that you have been doing since COVID that's been successful? A real sort of grassroots program or, or something else that people might benefit from hearing?
1: I think um, our facility, I mentioned we did a lot of youth programming. So we I kind of identified that need early on with kids home homeschooling. Um, so we did virtual classes for kids and teens. So some sports specific training, virtual classes, kind of PE style classes um, to get the, the kids moving at home. Um, so we did a lot of that. And then what we've prepared for the fall, while we haven't needed to pull the trigger on it yet, is we have a big facility. We're not using all the space right now, Um, but could we be a location for some virtual schooling? If school's closed for some reason, could we set up kind of a virtual classroom in here to help our working families? So that's something that's not traditional for a fitness center, but because youth is a big part of what we offer, some of the things that we're planning and thinking about and have ready if we need it.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea, and y'all definitely have this, this space and the facilities to support that if you decide to do that. Yeah. Uh, And Blair, I want to come back to you, too, as you know, sort of uh, the voice of the independent clubs out there. It seems to me going through COVID that clubs, of course, have been focused on reopening and then they're really reaching out to their core members. And so I think maybe some of those corporate relationships may have kind of taken a back burner under all these circumstances, which is understandable. But what advice might you have for them as far as staying true to, you know, your promises to your corporate partners and keeping that alive going forward?
4: Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to find out here, right? Because after we've been open eight days now and we just re-engaged with some of those corporate uh, clients where we actually do have not just, it's not just a membership agreement, right? We actually have the one-on-one coaching set up. So it was real, I was really glad to hear Bill saying, you know, that, that one-on-one coaching and, and, and Matthew as well, because so often with this virtual, we always think of it, you know, scaling upward. And I think the scaling downward is, is uh, equally important. So um, I'm, I'm I'm thinking right now that the most important thing for those corporate clients, especially with the two large healthcare providers is, is providing the one-on-one coaching to get people back in to back into the club or at least back into a regular routine even if it's not going to be in the club. I had a call earlier today with an owner of a personal training studio down in uh, in Vancouver, Washington and and I think these studios are doing better than most traditional gyms right out of the gate, you know, by the, by how they're structured. In other words, I think their revenue, what I'm hearing is their revenue is closer to 100%. Uh she said they're at about 85% of revenue but 39% of that 85% is coming through one-on-one virtual. And I think that's a that's you know if we if we take what's happening in that personal training studio and look at what we're doing with our corporate partners here it, and and listening to Bill and Matthew and Megan, I mean this is really starting to make a, a lot more sense as a way to try to go back and engage some of those uh some of those corporate groups.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. So to any of you um have you all begun to um sort of project what your plans might be going into 2021 I know Megan you mentioned right off the bat that you Walmart really is thinking their employees would continue working remotely till January uh and I've heard that in other states as well so that's a that's a very much a reality but have any of the three of you that are managing and running these sites given thought to what 2021 is going to look like for you.
2: Matt, yeah. you want to take
0: that one first?
2: Yeah, we we definitely have. I mean, I think that all of the work that has gone into creating our virtual experience, we don't want to lose that, right? All those man hours, that investment, and every all the momentum you gather from creating this virtual experience. And who knows how long it'll be before workers begin to feel comfortable not only just coming back to work, but then another layer of that is going into the fitness center when they get back to work. So we want to, um, we plan to offer a virtual experience alongside our management platform for the foreseeable future and really look at that as not a competing or an instead of product, but something that is a complementary.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to jump on that one, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Matthew, but maybe I'll ask everyone the same question. You know, Apple came out with their Fitness Plus announcement that they're going to be offering these virtual classes and trainings online for, I think it was $9 a month or something like that. Does that change your appetite for doing in-house digital programming for classes and training? Any of you?
2: That's funny, but... That's like asking if um, if a McDonald's opens up, are you going to close your hamburger joint? <laughs> okay, I like it. You know, what it tells me is the market is hungry for that product. If Apple's jumping on it, it means the market's expanding.
1: Good point. I think, I think we've found that our members connect better on virtual with people they know, people they've met. Um, and it's that connection point that made us kind of lean more towards creating our own content versus, you know, there's plenty of products out there that we could use um but i i think we see much better engagement with with their favorite instructors Yeah, bill
3: i think you got to think about the ecosystem of an organization right and um and I've got two points here one is um like my company is a pc company um, we're a google shop my it department doesn't want to support Macs, but all the executives use Macs or at least the, the founders all use Macs, right um, so you have an ecosystem in these, in these corporations where, one, they want to protect the ecosystem of their, their employee base, who has access to what, not just HIPAA, BIPAA, but just access to marketing information, communicating with their employee base, protecting the workforce and the workforce environment. So that, by definition, creates what Megan just mentioned kind of, they like the people they know that are embedded in their organization, that they're, they're they're familiar with, that are insiders versus outsiders. So I think that bodes well to Matthew's point about it creating exposure and awareness. I think that's, it's huge. Um, and there's also the thing, a buddy of mine always talks about data. Uh, somebody that you and I are close to, Brent, but I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but he's, He's like the king of data for the fitness industry, and, and he's a really smart cat. But, um, but data, when I'm talking about putting these virtual products together, who owns the data? Whose intellectual property is the data? So, you know, we went from fitness challenges, uh, wellness, you know, app, um, health promotion, all of that. Now we're going virtual streaming, on demand, um, kind of a whole different. Fitness health promotion offering, you know, online that, that's that's a lot like commercial, but tweaked toward the specifics of organizations. So when you're looking at these virtual platforms and building your product or your program, depending on which strategy you're going with, make sure you're really clear on who owns the IT of that program and who owns the data of that program. Because that's gonna be the first thing that your corporate clients your corporate partners want to really dive into is who has access, what can you do and not do with my employee base, who owns the data, who owns the IP, and and so you got to this isn't just simply call your corporation down the street and say hey you want some programming you know to do this really in an embedded format you got to you got to think it through.
0: Yeah, good advice. So I've got uh, two good questions from the audience. One is uh, we've been talking about one on one virtually. Can you share your pricing of how you're positioning that?
2: Anyone? Ours is around. Ours is around sixty percent of what it would otherwise be on site. It's a little bit less than a than a face-to-face uh, traditional personal training session.
0: And Matthew, what what's the range of your personal training on site? I know you got tons of locations, but what would you say an average for an hour session would be in person?
2: Mm, it might be sixty. Okay. Fifty-five, sixty dollars, uh, okay. something like that.
0: Megan, are y'all offering a virtual one-on-one yet?
1: We use uh, independent contract staff for training. So a lot of them have on their own pivoted to that and have been very successful with it. So it's um, successful for the ones who really get after it. We just don't have as much data because it's their their personal business with it.
0: Do you know if they're pricing themselves at sort of their normal rate for an hour or is it discounted or is it more?
1: I'd say probably pretty comparable for most okay. of them. Mm-hmm
0: all right how about you bill
3: um it's comparable um slight discount on the virtual personal training stuff but um but not not so dramatic um and also you know blair brought up in previous webinars um the appeal of 30-minute sessions um especially when you're dealing with a virtual environment you know by the time you get technology set up and everybody acclimated and you know so 30-minute sessions can be more digestible for folks for sure
0: then the next question from the audience is what percentage of the members um are using the virtual classes that you're putting on do you have an estimate about the participation rates
3: for me or matthew or Uh, everybody go ahead bill Uh, ours is low ours is low our virtual um uh penetrations less than 20 percent of what our normal capacity would have been um but it's there we promote it to the whole hundred percent and um and, you know, people know that we have options out there, but uh, but we still haven't figured out the secret sauce on, on gaining uh, wide scale adoption on the virtual.
1: Can I ask if you're offering that free or is it how how's the charging fees going for how you're offering virtual?
3: We're free other than the personal training. So the classes were free.
1: Same. Okay. So, that's megan. That's
3: public.
4: In public.
1: Yeah
3: ours
4: have been ours have been free, but now we're transitioning since we while we were closed, we did everything for free other than the one on one and the small group. The small group was actually really pretty neat because you know it's one trainer they're training you know four people and they can see them all just like we can see each other here, which we felt i mean it made a kind of a neat connection so we charged for those, but all of our other classes were free now as we're now as we're open, we're gonna transition. And have part of the virtual embedded in the membership, and uh, you know, but access only by membership, and then of course, charge for one on one and small group virtual, and then have if somebody wanted to just do virtual. and i and I and of course, I'm stealing that from everybody else on my round table and everybody else I've talked to because that that appears to be the way that a, a lot of people, a lot of people are going. A mistake that we saw with a lot of clubs when they first opened. Was deciding to kill their virtual in order to get people to go back into the club, and there was a there was a lot of negative feedback that
2: that club got over that one.
0: Yeah, very good, Matthew.
2: Yeah, I think that we have uh, a, probably comparable to what Bill said. The live classes tend to be um, more popular than the recorded content. You know, people like having that accountability. And knowing that their favorite instructor is going to be on at a certain time, just like it would in an in a on-site situation, it creates that kind of motivation to show up and participate. Plus, they can cast it to their TV, you know, and so they're not in front of a tiny laptop screen or their phone. And so there's some options that have made that a little bit more digestible um, with different kinds of technology.
0: Okay. Um, And then here's just a comment, but I'll throw it out to all of you. They're saying uh, for their digital or virtual offerings, they're really trying not to use the word virtual because they feel like that uh, denotes sort of a fake class, right? Uh, Virtual reality type situation. Any thoughts about that? Have any of you thought about language? Are you calling your, your online stuff anything different? Bill, go ahead.
3: We're, we're in our waivers and, and things that we're starting to, you know, it's not wide scale yet, but we're starting to use the word remote um, a little bit more. And there's uh-huh. still probably a better word out there, um, but I do agree, virtual does um, connotate less than live, you know.
0: Right.
4: Yeah, it's also interesting, Bill. Like that. As soon as you said that, that kind of resonates, right? Because that's how people are remote learning, remote work. Yeah, that that that, that I like that. That aligns nicely. Yeah. I, I have a question about, uh, you know, I, I like the coaching classes, challenges, community um, as far as, you know, it, it, no secret I'm a big fan of, uh, of my zone and try to integrate that. How, how are, if I would like to, if you don't mind, Brent, I'm, I'm really interested in knowing how people are gamifying or using devices to help engage uh, with the remote, um, with the remote classes or, or personal training.
1: We're a big MyZone using club, so that's been you know, a great way for people who are pretty active at the club to stay connected through the app. Um, Their MyZone remote or the remote connect feature that kind of we're still working through some of the technology kinks with it, but it's a cool concept. Um, And we think people will really like that if we can figure out all the ins and outs of it. And of course, challenges. That's something we've been doing all along through Closure to keep people engaged through that app. So that's been a great, a great tool for us before and current. Yeah,
3: we um we use MyZone, but our audience, as a percentage of our overall population, is a large, large enough for uh, to be our, our main vehicle. Um, but we do do MyZone um, challenges. Our main thing is VirtuGym, so our mobile technology is VirtuGym with regard to
2: challenges and apps and those kinds of things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and one of the things you get into is uh, you get into a little bit of a data discussion if you start having uh, activity tracking devices that are then applied in a virtual setting so then it brings back to Bill's point of well who owns that data all of the activity data now it's kind of broadcast virtually does that change the the IP security and all kinds of things so it's it's complicated and I'm a little envious of Megan because she just has to ask one client's permission. We have to ask like 80.
1: <laughs> Walmart's fun to work with though. So it, it's like asking 80 people too. So don't worry about yeah. that. <laughs> so, um,
0: so another person in the audience is asking, at this point in time, given COVID and the, just sort of the crisis we're in and the state of the businesses you might be working with, Would you recommend still reaching out to new corporate partners right now? Or do you think that's probably not time well spent until everything gets back to a little more normal?
2: I think you have to. You have to right now. I I think if you're not, you'll be behind by the time you start. Um, What we're seeing in terms of interest is on par with any other year. And that surprised me, too, in terms of the proposal requests and um, interest in on-site and virtual you know, our volume really hasn't gone down. It was paused for a little bit, um, but now that that there seems to be maybe an end in sight, I don't want to jinx us, but the volume is there.
3: I I have a a kind of a different perspective. If I'm a health club, I'm going to be really focusing on my existing relationships. Um, A business that is closed with their workforce and me trying to introduce and sell them um, I'm going to be noise. I'm going to be a background annoyance in some ways, potentially. So I would make awareness there, but I would really, if I were a club operator, I would be focusing on all the corporate memberships, all the corporate clients, all the corporate partnerships, all the company execs that I know and have relationships with. I would be really putting my my eggs in that focus. If I'm like Matthew and me, where we do this as our core only business we don't own any clubs anymore we only manage facilities we're out there all the time telling companies when you reopen safe environment corporate fitness internal safety you know so we're selling our services and solutions and you know i love you know selling and solving you know right. what is our solution that a workforce company needs right now um so i think there's two different things if this is your core business You're creating new solutions and always offering those solutions. If this isn't your core business, you know, protect your core first. What are those corporate relationships you have? So I would just bifurcate where your strategy is on the space um, and make sure that that you're addressing it appropriately, if that makes any sense.
0: No, I think that's really good, really good advice, Bill, for sure, because there aren't a lot of you and Matthews out there.
2: i do think audience is
0: more like blair megan go ahead blair
4: Uh, I, i i i i totally agree with bill on that and and if you are so here in central washington it's more rural um you know i'm sure some of these corporate facilities are someplace in financial districts in some cases and buildings are empty and people aren't in those buildings going into into facilities and um i i think you really have to evaluate what your your economic base is also around your club like um people are still eating apples i'll tell you that right <laughs> I, mean, I mean our biggest and people are in our our healthcare facilities our healthcare facilities our schools our puds um our uh, shippers and packers are our biggest employers here none of them are probably pud is that public utility districts what's pud yes i'm sorry bill it is public utility district thank you uh and 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 i and i think there's going to be a craving uh, within within those types of employers for more corporate wellness if they're not doing something now so i've I've, you know we should probably look at, at at um clubs like mine and and a lot of the operators out there that have clubs like mine that are independent operators and you know this would be good work a good good work for Ursa and kind of create a maturity model of what a good corporate wellness strategy and program would look like something that we could then you know coach clubs through so depending on where you would be and how mature your corporate fitness corporate wellness program is i think that if you're a bit more advanced i think there might be a real opportunity to reach out to these employers but dang i totally agree with bill first let's make sure that the ones that you have in place are are solid and those relationships are back on firm ground
0: so for from the three of you uh, that uh, are not independent club owners megan you as well um, what what are two or three things that clubs could offer to a corporate partner that uh, doesn't have on-site facilities to be managed, you're just trying to set up a relationship. What are three sort of, I don't wanna call them easy, but pretty straightforward uh, value adds that clubs could offer to companies in their community?
1: I'll give a little slant on it that, that you might not be aware of. We as Walmart have partnered with Tivity Health and are offering their prime network to our associates across the country. So while we have this one club here in Arkansas, we know we can't replicate the size of this thing for all associates in the US. Um, so we partnered with Tivity Health uh, fall of last year to make kind of a similar price point membership available to any Walmart associate in the U.S. through the Tivity Prime network. So that's one way that we're trying to expand that to across the country, and that gives other clubs across the U.S. opportunities to to be part of that network so they can have some of our connection to our associates. So that's a little different slant on maybe how some of the rest of you would answer that question, but um, that's something that we've done recently too.
0: Uh, yeah that's a that's a really good point I think sometimes we forget wherever the corporate headquarters is and I knew this when I used to manage Texas Instruments and northern telecom both their headquarters are here in Dallas Fort Worth, and there was the you know 20 30 thousand employees at those locations but there were also people all across the continent uh, and so whatever programs you rolled out you really need to make them what we would now call virtual uh or somehow available to those people in remote locations that's a good that's a really good point megan Bill, go ahead.
3: Yeah, there's about four, if not five, and maybe even more, but there are four, four that I'm really well aware of. Insurance plans geared towards seniors that offer uh, free membership as part of the insurance plan to clubs that have signed up. Tivities one, Optum, you know, um, is one, um, and, and there's a couple other Silver Sneakers. Uh, I think Healthways, maybe be Silver sweet. Anyway, I don't have a list in front of me. But there's about four or five majors that do the senior programming where people can come in, and then there's outfits like Global Fit, which allow um, clubs around the country to be accessible by a company that has a remote, uh, you know, footprint across the U.S. Um, but to your question, what can you do as an operator for corporations right now? One Wait, is provide. I,
0: Bill, I'm going to cut you off because I want to. I want to challenge your thought on that for a lot of clubs they think i would say just investigate what the reimbursement is because as we know there's a a many clubs out there that have gone down the road with some of these aggregator companies promising members and then when you read the fine print the reimbursement for their attendance is a fraction of what your regular membership is paying And so there have been a lot of clubs that have gotten enrolled and then really had a battle fighting their way out of those contractual agreements. So uh, I would just encourage the audience to beware, do your investigation first before you jump into those.
3: Well, they they have become a little more generous in recent times, Brent, and they're much more open to renegotiation. And they've also realized that a virtual visit uh, is important as well. And some of them are reimbursing for virtual visits and some of them reimburse for one visit a month versus a max of X number of visits a month. So you're right. There's a lot of legalese in these agreements. Understand what you're getting into, read the fine print, but they have become more evolved than than they were even two years ago, a year ago, uh, on reimbursing higher amounts and more flexibility. So negotiate those kinds of deals if you look into them. Um, to, your, to your point, um, Education, you know, everybody needs education right now. So providing your content you would share with members, sharing those with companies and their employee base. You know, our name is Active Wellness. We gotta get people more active. You know, you can't go out in California because you know, you can't breathe the air because the fires, you can't go out, you know, if if you've got flooding, you can't go out, you can't go inside because everything's closed. So people have got major chronic conditions exasperated right now so getting people just moving with basic movement challenges um you know so i would say remote programming education and activity based uh you know challenges just to get people moving through this period those were things that any club can offer any any community
2: any corporate community right now
0: okay good matthew
2: yeah i mean i agree with everything that that bill said about about the different kinds of vehicles that you can reach the corporation uh, population with, but I think that your content has to be king. I I mean, otherwise your YouTube or your daily burn and you get swallowed up within, your content has to be specific and unique to whatever company. And I liked Blair's example of the apple farms, because if I was the program manager of a site that addressed apple farm workers, the types of programs that I would deliver would make them better pickers. Like that's what I would try and create is programs that made a difference in their daily work life and their environment and the challenges they face. Those people probably have, you know, neck problems, back problems, hip problems. I would address those kinds of things, the specific challenges they face. Um, And if you could do that, the corporation would thank you a million times over rather than just rolling out a magazine, eight week program. Here you go.
0: I love that, Matthew. And that, that does take me back to my corporate wellness days. And that's doing a needs analysis on the company first. Before you just go in and have this template of here's what we can do for you, you really try to understand where are their shortcomings, where are their needs, what are their, you know, top five insurance claims so that you can help sh- save them money. Um that's really great advice, Matthew. Thanks. Sure. Megan, can you add something to any of that? Oh, Megan. Yeah, she seems, there she is.
1: Sorry, can you repeat?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was just saying.
1: Can you repeat what you're asking me?
0: Oh, well, we were talking about collectively doing some uh, needs analysis on corporations to make sure they're offering the programs Mm -hmm. that those specific corporations really need. And I'm sure that that's a big part of your process there at Walmart. I know you can't divulge sort of the, the top insurance claims there, but you're really tailoring your programs to suit the needs of that company all right um and and blair let's come back to you so for those uh independent club operators out there that are wanting to just get the door open to have a conversation with companies do you have some advice for them and related to that
4: well i do you you have to be programmatic i mean there are certainly those that are just looking for a corporate discount and and you know opening your doors up we don't feel like that's the like that's the route that that i mean we we have that type of program but what we're trying to do is add more and more value i think that in this new world that is going to be a bigger and bigger deal and it also is how you may be able to differentiate yourself in your market and so you know there's going to be we think probably some contraction where we know even of the clubs that been open since uh may or even some late april nobody's up to their dues line yet right no but nobody's hitting 100 percent yet and i am looking at new uh new revenue i think this is a place where independent operators if they can put the right team together are going to be able to add value to companies and and maybe make a real shift you know i'd like to see eventually you know 25, 35% of our revenue coming from wellness-type programs that we have with some of these companies in the valley. They need it. They don't want to invest in the facilities on their sites, but you know, space is a premium, and we have uh, we have space, and and I think we can add a lot of value. And I'm and I'm really thinking now, you know, because I'm learning a lot on this, and I'm really thinking now about the remote piece as being a huge value driver there in this.
0: Yeah, no, good point. Good point. One of uh, related to that question, uh, someone in the audience is asking, how do you get past the sort of HR, uh, the gatekeepers in these companies to to get them to buy into whatever it is you're offering? And Bill, you and Matthew have done this over and over. What are some tips for people?
3: Um, Matthew, I can go first. or You can go first. Up to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, So there's two types of clients that we have. Um, There's the client that wants a cool fitness facility because they want to have the slickest, best fitness facility to attract and retain talent as an amenity. And these accounts report into facilities. They glaze over when you talk health promotion. They glaze over when you talk at risk population. Hey, we want a slick facility that people love. So they want to work here. And so they like being here. And so they don't leave here then you got the more hr wellness initiatives where health promotion population health risk management key key risk factors programming around those risk factors getting people more active all the normal what we talk about in wellness right and so there's two different clients um now i think all the clients to blair's point have a new appetite for safety uh controlling my ecosystem, my environment, that my employees are gonna be exposed to. So I think Matthew and I are in a really prime spot with people going in and having more fitness facility offerings on campus. One, if if everybody's cost-containing down to 25% reductions in workforce, you're gonna have some real estate available on campuses, especially Mm -hmm. the larger employers, right? So if you've got real estate involved, available, emphasis on safety protecting my workforce internally there might be an opportunity for companies like matthews and mine in that space to blair's point educating these people on how to do it right with the virtual programming and we're premier in our market as a wellness solution not a typical gym um we're, we're we're you know above the fray in how we operate creating that credibility and we've talked on this webinar about credibility and core competencies of cleanliness and safety Blair's right on with that. That stuff positions you for the corporate market as a local community
2: provider. So, Matthew. Yeah, I think the question probably came from somebody who has a job similar to mine. Um, How how do you sidestep the procurement person in, uh, in so you don't have to go through an RFP process because they're expensive, they're time consuming and they're very highly competitive and it's difficult to win a lot of the a high percentage of those. So if you're an independent club operator, how do you not have to invest all those resources in a in a RFP? And the only real legit answer to that is you've got a relationship built. I mean, there's no shortcut. You got to know your community. Um, you've got to interact with the business owners and the leaders in that community. You got to go to those 7 a.m. breakfast at the networking breakfast and wear your mask. It's all that kind of stuff that goes into the relationship building in hopes that they might, in some chance, sole source it to you. Uh, because a lot of these larger companies, Fortune 500, they they have these requirements where they have to go to RFP. But if you have a relationship going into it, it it puts you in a better spot.
4: Yeah, I, this, this, is, this is really good. This is an area where we have a real shortfall all in our industry, and it's understanding the B2B sale, and especially the B2B enterprise sale. And there are companies that do this really well, and a lot of them are SaaS software companies, right? So, um, you know, creating a champion inside the company, somebody that'll pound the desk for you in a, in a discussion, getting involved early, so you're part of writing the RFP for them. If you, if you become that trusted advisor internally, Bill?
0: they're asking they're just asking for clarification all three of you use this same term rfp it's request for proposal request. which is a really bad word sorry about that <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: yeah there's an and there could, and there could even be something before that an rfi request for information request for proposal rfps can be a drain uh as Matthew was pointing out but it but it to really go into this uh corporate um Wellness, I I think it would do anybody a lot of good to read about B2B sales. It's different than B2C sales Mm -hmm.
0: It doesn't hurt to get the CEO to sign off and be a big uh, fan either,
3: right? There's can I just say something quickly and then I'm sure you want to hear from from Megan next Um, I spent two years of my career selling corporate memberships um, way back in the day and um, one of the best trainings for this kind of thing for us is is a, is a course called Strategic Selling by Miller Hyman. Yep. So Miller Hyman's strategic selling course helps you navigate complex organizations with B2B enterprise sales. And so if you're in in if you're dedicated to really selling to corporations and to the B2B market, get some training and experience in B2B selling, strategic selling. That's one. RFPs also are a lot of times done as a requirement when they have no intention of changing vendors. So they're just checking price and following a requirement internally. Um, We very rarely even respond to RFPs unless we have a relationship with an executive sponsor. So, you know, to to Matthew's point and to your point about the CEO, Brent, you got to have executive support, executive leadership that believes in it you got to have some level of, and that can be any level, director, VP, C-level, but you need executive sponsorship.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, Megan, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, Ian, because you're right there with the employees at Walmart, you're very close to them, and you understand their challenges. And it's not just a need for physical activity, but the sense of community uh, has risen, or, I mean, it's missing with all the isolation Uh, there's more depression. People are worried about returning to work. Um, They've got a lot of crisis going on beyond remote working. Now they're in their homes and their kids may or may not be on a regular routine at school. So are you having some more focus on mental health, wellness?
1: Yeah, uh, we have a separate uh, kind of associate health and well-being team that we report up to but we do have the focus on those areas for you know our employee assistance program eap uh, resources for living offers that that service to all our associates across the country Um, and we you know from our standpoint encourage physical activity that's one of the best medicines obviously you can have for mental well-being too so uh, that's a focus that we have Um, And then the other one we have a partnership with thrive global so we do the um, thrive zip challenge is something that we offer to our associates across the country that um kind of peer-to-peer that peer-to-peer connection you know what is susie doing that might help somebody else across the country so sharing those stories um and really connecting through through those types of offerings that we have not just in our facility but that's more of a company-wide okay. options that we have tell us just a little bit more about that yeah so um, with the thrive thrive um Zip challenge and then we ask people to do 21 days of a a habit of something small. So, you know, I'm gonna do something in, in one of the areas of food, family, fitness, or money. Um, and it's a 21-day challenge. They have the app where they can track their track their challenge of the day. And it's something that whatever it is to them, we don't tell them what to do. Um, it's something that, that they may be inspired by reading somebody else's story. Um, about, well, she did that, maybe I can do this. Um, and there is a prize pool for this so after 21 days they can submit their story or every 21 days or so they can submit an entry or a story um, and there is prize money um, awarded for those kind of people who are inspiring others so it's something that um, has really taken off over the last couple of years uh, for our associates
0: okay great so i've asked uh, quite a few questions i'm sure i've left some really important ones out um Matthew, would you uh, can you just share generally any other advice you might have for people out there around the corporate uh, fitness landscape? And we talked before we started about some pretty high level and overview of the industry. Can you give us a few uh, statistics or findings from what you're seeing across the
2: board? Well, I haven't seen an opportunity in the past seven months that did not involve something virtual in some capacity, and I don't think that that's going to change. Uh, but one thing that has shifted is something you just touched on, both you and Megan, about the feeling of isolation that a lot of people are having right now as remote workers, especially for um, people that are extroverted, like a lot of us in the fitness industry, how we get energy from others. Uh, when you're not in that office environment and you're not in your work teams and you're doing all these virtual meetings, that can be difficult for those people to try and come to terms with. So. Some of the things that we've tried to do is to create that sense of community and connection is to try and get those peers together, whether it's just a group chat or a virtual happy hour or a live group X class, whatever the vehicle is, try and create those connections because that's something that over the past six, eight months, I think has really dramatically impacted the psyche of the corporate worker.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Bill, I'm assuming you're seeing the same thing and hearing the same thing.
3: Yeah, I mean you've guys heard me pound on the drum of suicide and depression and isolation and our industry can play a huge role in that like never before. You know, you and I refer to it as as not not just mental health but mental wellness. And um, and so I think that we have an opportunity to be mental wellness providers and not getting out of our lane on expertise or healthcare or or, or or mental health but but just thinking about the mind as and the and the psyche as much as we think about the body and our offerings. Um you know, so I think that's huge. I, I think if, if I'm an operator, if I'm not Matthew, and I, I, and I'm operating a club, and I want to have a bigger impact on this, most health clubs make the mistake of discounting their membership to people that have a job, that work at a company, and they call that a corporate membership. And that's right. not a corporate membership. That's a, that's a market discount. Right. <laughs> I would not discount my rates unless a company is partnering with me, either with a subsidy or minimum of a payroll deduction mechanism. So there's the employee, there's the company, and then there's me as the operator. And we work together to create a product for that solution, for that for that enterprise. So if you have discounts to your population because they have jobs, I'd get clean that up right now during COVID. You'll get an immediate bump. On your revenue lines you'll and and you only you only discount if you discount some people charge corporations a premium per membership because the services are additional you know right. but my advice to the group as far as a takeaway brand would be don't discount because people have jobs in your market you know you know be proud of your price offer solutions and work as a partnership with companies don't just discount because people work there
0: I would add on to that. Um, when I had my club here in Dallas, again, we were in a corporate environment, and one of the things we did that was pretty successful is we made it easy for companies to do business with us. So we had a couple of tiers. And to Bill's point, of course, what you really want is that subsidy, and for the company to write one check, you know, for their part of the employees' uh, membership. But another way to get, uh, you know, a cooperative agreement authored or written or agreed to is to get the company to give you access to their employees internally, right? Either through their new employee paperwork or their intranet or letting you come on site, but somehow that the club itself and the membership and the programs are exposed to all the employees on a regular basis is a big part of it, right? Uh, Especially if you're not on site, you've got to have that access and you've got to have that written in as part of your agreement at the very least.
3: Yeah, what I teach companies that I work with in consulting is go after the capitated membership program because right. companies don't like to be unfair, like who gets it, who doesn't get it, how does, you know, we'll give you access to all the employees for a fixed monthly amount. And, you know, there I have a, I have a formula for that. It's usually somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of your normal dues rate times the population and you, revi- you revisit it every quarter based on the company's uptick or downtick in number of employees anyway. But a capitated membership is the best, then subsidy, then payroll deduction mechanism, and regardless, you want access to the population base. So,
0: agreed, 100%. So let me just clear up real quick because I I'm Bill and I have used that word for a long time, and there are actually a lot of people that don't understand what we mean with capitated agreement. So a capitated agreement would say would be, for example, if a company had 100 employees, you would estimate on average based on experience in corporate fitness that 30 to 40 percent of those employees would take advantage of the offering to belong to the club and make use of it so you ask the company to pay for only 30 to 40 percent of their employees but they offer those programs and services to hundred percent of the employees and so the gamble uh, from the corporation and the club is that it's going to be somewhere in that range of 30 to 40%. And that's where you start. And then once the program is launched, as Bill indicated, on a quarterly or semi-annual basis, but on some regular occurrence, you really evaluate what are the real numbers of employees that are actually making use of it. And you adjust that reimbursement uh, from the company, still with it being offered to 100% of the population. Is that? I think that explains it fairly well.
4: Yeah. yeah and, 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 and I'll the say benefit- Go ahead, Bill
3: i just say the benefit is that even if the even if the company only has thirty percent and you're charging thirty five percent, they get the convenience of offering it to every employee. Every employee having a membership and them checking the box on equality, not favoritism, all those kinds of things. Go ahead, Blair.
4: So, and i I got a pile on that because that's our most successful program that we have is using the capitated membership. We're thirty five percent um, plus um some other services added on inside the gym like small group training that they can access plus we built in a certain number of one on one coaching sessions early on so that we could onboard uh some of their some of their staff uh, we had also included right out of the gate the uh, the purchase of i think we did 200 uh, myzone devices uh, for their for their staff um uh, but it was um that by far has been the most successful and on that capitated one, you're charging 100% of your membership price for 35% of the of the of the their population. Right. If uh, and I really like what Bill was saying about not discounting. If if there's a budget issue there, there's other ways to address that. Maybe it's quarterly payments instead of annual. Maybe maybe it's that. But if they start pressing on on the price, and if you to get the deal, just don't capitulate on the price but maybe get something else for it. Like, what would you need of value? Maybe you need better access. Maybe maybe there's something you could trade on price, but don't just capitulate on it. Get something of value that's going to help the, their company, going to help your company, and going to help their employee.
3: Yes, Bill. Well. Don't forget about the value of add-on memberships that aren't being subsidized or may yeah. not be subsidized by the employee. So you may, you may go down to 28%, knowing that you're going to have a high family market and you're going to get the add-ons that are not subsidized. And so you got to look at it in its totality. Great point.
0: Right. And also um, uh, to your point, Bill, if it's, uh, you know, if it's a hundred dollar a month membership, but you're getting 50% of your revenues for your club through ancillary services, you can also assume that member is going to spend more in your club than just that basic reimbursement.
3: And I don't I don't plug my I don't plug my consulting very much if, if at all here on this <laughs> webinar, but but I can help you with this kind of structure and, and sales and marketing training on this thing.
0: Yes, BMC3. That's the website you can go to and check that out. So we only have about two minutes left. I'm going to give that to uh, our two guest panelists. Megan, I'll start with you. Any parting advice for people around the opportunities with corporate wellness going into the rest of this year and next year?
1: Yeah, I think we are, have to continue to be creative. We know our we know our associate or our member base is not probably going to come in the doors in droves like we had hoped. Um, so continue to be creative and innovate and find ways to either draw them to the club, figure out what would get them back, or what would help them change their behavior or help them find that time in their schedule um, to come back in, so we can engage them here and virtual too. That's still important, but we'd love to see them in person as many as possible.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a really a misnomer uh, because I worked uh, like you, uh, Megan, for years on site running corporate wellness programs. And people on the commercial side, um, you know, like Blair and others sometimes think, oh, man, they got it easy. I mean, the members are paying, you know, just a few months and it's payroll deducted. But it's really about getting them engaged. It's still a battle every day to get people to come use the services and the programs. Right. I mean,
1: even though they're paying for it, we still want we want them to use it. <laughs>
0: That's right, exactly. Okay, Matthew, parting advice?
2: Oh, I mean, I would just say to the audience out there, uh, I know it looks a little bleak. Um, There are some, we're in a valley for sure that, that I think that we're going to come out of. And I would say the best way to do that short term is to embrace change rather than run away from it. And most of that change is occurring in the virtual space. So if you still have a flip phone, get rid of it learn and learn the smartphone technology, become part of the solution because it can be real easy, especially for those of us that have been in the industry for a long, long time to get, you know, kind of down on things because we're so used to that on site. Hey, how are you when somebody walks in the door and we live off those moments. But I think that you can create meaningful moments of magic that happen virtually. It just takes a little more work and and you got to know where the start button on Zoom is.
0: Yeah, I like that. that. That's a good closing comment. You got to know where the start button on Zoom is. I like that. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, well, I want to thank uh, again, Megan and Matthew for joining us today and my good friends, Blair and Bill, once again, for all your contributions. Thanks to the audience uh, for joining us uh, one more time and we'll be back again next week. Until then, be the salt and the light. See y'all next week. Bye.
3: Take care. Yes. Bye.